Hello and welcome to Science Unscripted. It's Connor here. And Gabe. We are going to start with a short email uh, or a short exchange of emails that I had, Gabe. I don't think you've seen any of these really. Mm -hmm. With one of our listeners, Emma, who got in touch after our episode on, on forest bathing. And doing it in virtual reality, the idea that or some Czech Republic, right? People, I compared going into the actual forest and going into a taking a virtual tour mm-hmm. via VR goggles, and then comparing the two, right. and the effect that it had on their well-being based on a standardized emotions test. I think ten positive emotions, ten negative emotions. How yeah. did? How did it Which one was them? better? Yeah. It turned out that there's no real difference, at least in the context of this very specific test. And Emma wrote, I'm thinking the studies didn't have participants do both. So the virtual forest and the real forest. And mm-hmm. so it lacks justification. And uh, what I immediately wrote her back is that that was something I failed to mention when I was talking about the study, is that they did in fact have one group, one co- cohort do both. And it, again, was statistically irrelevant at the end of the day. It was the same. So that's the answer to that question. She went on to say that this was must be, you know, one of the big limitations of the study, that it didn't have this. Mm-hmm. And I would repeat, Emma, and to our listeners around the world, the the clear limitation of that study from How the small it was, Czech right? Republic. 30 people total. And um, anyway, thank you, Emma, for writing in. Yeah. Gabe, you have another email. I have an email. Do I have an email? I think. I I thought I was going to uh, provide an addendum to something that we were talking about a few weeks oh, ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, go right ahead. Yeah, I thought no that email. was an email. No okay. Email. No email. We were talking about loneliness mm-hmm. and whether being around people necessarily helps you. And um, this was research out of Tilburg University. And the conclusion of that study was it definitely does not. That being around people when you're feeling most lonely actually has an even worse impact on your mental well-being. This here is a study, uh, it's based on data out of Switzerland. It's three universities, again, Tilburg, Zurich, and Washington University in St. Louis in the U.S. state of Missouri. What they were looking, this was about 2,500 Swiss were asked to talk about loneliness and their sense of purpose in life. Hmm. And what they found out from this data was that having a purpose in life has a a a very negative impact on your loneliness. And what (laughs) that means, and what that means, is that you you feel a lot less lonely if you have a purpose in life. Um, Oh, you feel less lonely if you have. So there's a negative relationship. Okay, you tricked me on that one. (laughs) Double negative. Yeah, if you have a purpose in life, you do not feel lonely well into your 70s. They were looking at ages all the way up into 80. And one of the things they found out there was that having a purpose in life oftentimes means that you are dealing with other people, but also that there are things like gardening or hiking that you can do on your own that can give you that sense of purpose, which makes you, despite being alone, you do not feel as lonely. Have a hobby, effectively. Yeah, that if you're, let's say, entering retirement and you spend a lot of time at work and it gives you a sense of purpose, as you prepare for retirement, make sure that you already start trying things out that can possibly replace that or act as a surrogate to that 
so that you don't get bombarded by feelings of loneliness and uh, the negative well-being that accompanies it when it happens. Hmm. Okay. Essentially. Keep yourself busy, but in a in a purposeful way. And it leads to a question. When you mentioned that before, this is the first time I'm hearing about this study. Yeah. Uh, you and I had a discussion about whether or not it, you need to have a purpose and how... Or how you get it. Why should you have to have... Do we have to? Yeah. Did, was, that, was that idea infused into our psychologies with is it unnatural it should be okay do we have to no, have should, a purpose in should, life it should be okay not to i am purposeless i'm just i'm just enjoying the ride and that's it i yeah. think that's also totally valid but uh, but if i told my mom and dad hey i screw this purpose thing i'm just gonna well i think i'm gonna sail off here it sounds like <laughs> if you were purposeless or felt purposeless you would feel more lonely Absolutely, but it leads me According to wonder. Yeah. It leads me to wonder whether if you could not only accept the sense of purposelessness, but embrace it, love it, hmm. if you would still feel lonely as a result, or if that would change that equation. Future research. Speaking of also probably harder, easier said than done. Embracing, I know, not I having know. a purpose. <laughs> I know, <laughs> that's a big one to swallow. All right, what do you got? Sweden, uh, men, and cancer. And the largest study of its kind, this was on cardiorespiratory fitness. Basically, how much oxygen does your body get when you are exercising? Mm -hmm. That's really what it's about. And how does that connect to cancer? Three cancers in particular, colon cancer, lung cancer, and prostate, some of the most common cancers in men. And is there a connection between how much oxygen... How well your lungs work and whether you get these types of cancer. Uh, it's not just how well your lungs work. It's how efficiently your body uses oxygen mm -hmm. or, or gets it in the first place. I'll get more uh, into that a little bit later. But yeah, is there a connection? And they looked at 200,000 men, uh, anywhere from the ages of 18 to 75. Of course, when we're talking about cancer, especially these ones, it tends to be later in life. What were the types of cancer? Just, just to... Colon. Colon. Lung. Lung. Prostate. Prostate. I'm guessing that there's an effect on lung cancer. The other two, I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, where, where are you going to start? I'm, I'm going to start with how they did this. They, they basically um, these were medical records. They had they'd put these guys on bikes at some point, and there's this way to measure. You're just going on a bike for about five six minutes. You, what's called your VO2 max. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep referring to that, so I'll, I'll define that one right now. VO2 max is what I was talking about. How much oxygen can you get uh, into your body when you're exercising? And um, after they had established that, they just they tracked them on average for about 10 years. That's not that long, but it's long enough for them to have had 500 cases of colon cancer. 150 of them passed away. 300 lung cancer, 200 of, the, of them passed away. And 2,000 cases of prostate cancer with 150 passing away. And so with those numbers... Uh, that's not actually a very huge group compared to the total, overall total of 200,000, but they could establish some patterns on this connection. Mm -hmm. And the findings, I'll just summarize them real quickly. As your VO2 max levels go up, as your ability to, to suck more air, suck more oxygen into your body, as that goes up, yeah. it lowers the risk of lung cancer. You were right about that one. Okay. And colon cancer, not necessarily prostate. Okay. For whatever reason, that's just not connected there. And uh, with all three of those cancers, if you get them in the first place, and you can still suck in a lot more oxygen from our atmosphere, just breathing and moving around, um, you have a lower risk of death. 
and quite significant. All three. All three. All three are a lower risk of death. So you're less likely to get lung and, and colon. Mm-hmm. And for all three, it's less likely that you will die as a result of the cancer. Exactly. Uh, but it would surprise me if it was direct causation. Why? I mean, typically, if you have high VO2 max numbers, it means that you've been doing exercises to get it to that level. You're a healthy individual, probably. That said, if there were like a causal effect here, then what I would do first is look at, okay, which sports change my VO2 max the most or have have the biggest uh, effect on my body. One way of looking at it is which athletes out there in the world have the highest numbers anyway. Cyclists? Cyclists are number three on the list I've found just behind... Uh, cross-country skiers? Just behind running. Cross-country skiing is number one. These are people, you can call this a, a sport. The sport yeah. is how much oxygen can I inhale oh, yeah. with every single breath and get into my body and Norway. use. Norway. Norway. They, they are the kings. The Norwegians. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. Birkebeiner. My, <clears throat> my dad did this cross-country race back, in, back as a kid. There's this thing in Wisconsin, you go forever. And you just go forever. You got your skis. It was a really boring sport. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan I'd of cross. Rather build a snowman. Cross country skiing, but if you want to increase your bo- your body's ability to utilize oxygen, um, it seems like people who, either people who can do that anyway end up in that sport, mm. or by engaging in that sport, you're, you're training your lungs or your your entire in cold temperatures. As yeah, well, you're, right? not just your lungs, your entire cardiovascular system to do just that. By comparison, if cross country skiing's at 84, then with soccer or football, they're at 66. Mm-hmm. So there, there are big differences. Uh, but the question is, how could you get your own VO2 max higher? My initial instinct or the answer that I've read in, you know, running magazines and online all over the place are these HIT trainings, mm-hmm. high intensity interval trainings. Where you jog for a minute and then sprint for 30 seconds and then jog for a minute and there then sprint are, for 30 seconds. Are, or? It's, you, that's basically it. There are so many different formulas. It can be two minutes on, two minutes off, two minutes on. It, it, it can be this like pyramid system. Yeah. It's crazy. But that's one way that people attempt to do this. Um, interestingly, I saw one running trainer who had this long article online who ultimately referred to a German study from 1997 where they placed EKGs on people and measured their the athletes hearts over time and there what they found is that low intensity high volume training slow and steady long hours all the way up to I think something like 20 hours per week that that ends up increasing the size of your heart your heart's ability to pump blood because of course there are a lot of ways that your body receives that your cells receive oxygen and one thing one part of the process that could speed it up is a more powerful or larger heart the the beat yeah right and so what they found is it's a straight line up as you increase hours from 13 there it was from 13 all the way up to 20 the cardiac volume in terms of milliliters per kilogram goes from something like 10 all the way up to 30. In, in, in any case, the, the idea is that when you're doing these, this slow, long training, your heart has to grow in size. Does that mean the more training, the better? Or do you have to train for at least one, two, three, four hours at a time? Or that's That I didn't look into. And to be honest, this is a category of, of science research and speculation where at some point, even as a journalist, you just have to pull back and say, I can't because there are so many wildly varying opinions on this. This is a huge area of discussion right now today all over the web. You have all these sports trainers on social media talking about how they are the only ones who can increase your VO2 max. Uh, You're a runner? Have you done anything? 
Um, I've done plenty of hit, hit training, uh, but I've never stopped to try and measure my own VO2 max. You can do that. You can deduce it by pace and uh, a number of factors, pace, heartbeat, even kilowatts, all sorts of stuff. There's a way to do it. Um, I'm not at a level where I want to even have to have, I, I can't think that way. I want to be able to go out there and enjoy it and have my slow days and my days that feel unexpectedly fun. And then I stop and I enjoy the view for a while. It's not, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to do the Olympics. So you're not out there to get a higher VO2. That's not what it you're for, trying to that's, say. That's not it for me, but I'll, I'll close this by saying. But it would be good in terms of um, those three types of cancer. Huh? Not just the cancer, but in terms of feeling better. A lot of people, again, these are anecdotes I read all over the place. As their VO2 max goes up, their overall health goes up. They feel better. And that would make sense intuitively if you're grabbing more oxygen with every breath or, or rather your body's utilizing it better, mm -hmm. you probably would feel better. And yeah. so it's something to, to so think about. Two easy tips for this week. I mean, find a purpose in life and increase your VO2, guys. <laughs> That's it. That's all you have to do. A new hobby and like 20 hours of exercise per week. And maybe that is your new hobby. No. Uh, start small, especially with running. You injure yourself if you try to uh, do too much too quickly but something to think about as you age there's there's a connection there and you can be healthier and happier for it science unscripted